And they sent it because uh, it was a testimony in their life, and I want to read part of it to you. Um, if I can find the spot that I need to be in. They, they kind of caught me up on what's happening in their life, and, and uh, they used to be here, and they, they've moved. And, um, um, and so they were just kind of writing back and giving a testimony, that the things that God did in their life here and some of the things that they're, they're lear- they learned here. Um, and one of the principles they learned is, is tithing and giving. And uh, it's a testimony of what God's done in this person's life. And uh, she's a single mom and um, has a child. And she said, but the real reason that I wanted to write you this letter is because I wanted to share with you that I have become a faithful tither, obedient to God's word, and have been blessed beyond belief. I've always wanted to tithe but could never faithfully do it before now. As soon as I got paid, it was the first check. It is the first check that I write. I was able to pay off all my debt, pay off my car, have uh, have fun to, and money to spend with their child, all while tithing and working temporary jobs. When I first moved here, God blessed me with a permanent job during these trying economic times. I believe because I was faithful in tithing. I've had. Things happen like my car breaks down and unexpected expenses, but I've always been able to meet the needs as they come. I struggle less now with le- I struggle less now with less money than I did when I tried to hold on to all of it. The first fruits are his, and I can testify to being supernaturally blessed. I don't think twice about it. I don't miss it because it's not mine to begin with. It belongs to the Lord. Sometimes I don't know where the extra money comes from. Anyway, it's been on my heart, and I have learned to be obedient. And uh, wanted to just write and tell you uh, this testimony of what God has done through my obedience. And, you know, I've said this before, and I want to emphasize this again. It's not that if you give, you're giving to make God give back to you. You don't give to get. But God honors faithfulness, and if you'll faithfully be obedient, and if you'll trust God and give the first fruits because they belong to Him, it's like this person said, I don't miss it because it wasn't mine to begin with. And God just honors faithfulness. It's not a promise that you're going to get rich quick. It's not a promise that you won't have any problems in life. You will have problems in life, and that's not a negative statement. That's just a fact. That's a reality because we live in a fallen, broken world and things are falling apart and breaking around us you know your car breaks your appliances break and those things but God honors faithfulness and if you will trust him not lean on your own understanding and not try to figure it out in your mind God knows how to make a way where there doesn't seem to be a a way God knows how to take a little and make a lot out of it God knows how to multiply things amen and so my encouragement and I just this was such an encouraging testimony. They, I didn't even know they were going to write. It just came out of the blue. And I just wanted to share that with you. You know, I don't say a whole lot about money. I used to do uh, more teaching on, on giving and on stewardship. Uh, and I don't like it to sound like, you know, I'm going to get up here and say a whole bunch about money and put you on a guilt trip. You shouldn't give because you feel guilty. 
We give for the right reasons. We give out of obedience because the scripture says the tithe belongs to the Lord. So we give it back to Him. In offerings, we give those as the Spirit of God leads us. And out of our liberality and out of our generosity, God will bless. He will. It's like a farmer sowing seed. If a farmer doesn't put seed in the ground, he cannot get a harvest. And the more he puts in the ground, the more harvest he has. That's not what I say. That's what the Scripture says. But give mostly and foremost because of your heart of love toward the Father. Amen? And honor Him and worship Him with your giving. And as you're faithful in this area, God says it's the only area. He said, prove me in this. He said, prove me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing which you cannot contain. Amen? And that might take a lot of forms. It might not always be in the form of money. But God knows what you need when you need it, and he knows how to get it to you. Amen? Let's pray. Amen. Uh, August 1st, two weeks from yesterday, we're going to have a baptismal service. If you, if you have given your life to Christ and you have not been water baptized, if you know someone, uh, if you have shared Christ and led someone to the Lord, and they don't know, they have not been water baptized, please, please uh, encourage them to come to be baptized. Uh, if you haven't signed up and you need to be baptized, you can sign up on the tear-off on your bulletin. It's going to be on Saturday night at 6 o'clock. It's going to be a service specifically dedicated to baptism. So we're going to baptize um, everybody that, that comes to be baptized. And then we're going to have a fellowship supper. We're going to have a potluck dinner. So bring yourself, bring your friends, bring your family, bring someone that needs to be baptized, that has met Christ but has not experienced baptism, and bring... A dish with food in it. And, uh, well, we always say bring a dish, but, you know, I want to qualify that. Bring a dish with food in it. Don't just bring a dish. Uh, and, and let's have fellowship together. Let's break bread and have a meal together. Let's celebrate what God's done in the lives of these that, uh, that are going to be baptized. I know uh, there's some that went to camp that gave their lives to the Lord, some of the kids, and I know... Uh, who, who will be baptized, uh, one specifically, and I, there might be more. Um, so young or old, it doesn't matter. If you've exercised faith in Christ and you have not been baptized, please plan on coming. So put that on your calendar and come August 1st. Also next weekend, Saturday night and Sunday, Harvey and Cherry Randall will be with us. It will be two separate services. So um, if you come Saturday and you come Sunday, you're going to get two different services. So plan on coming to both. Harvey and Cherry both minister. Uh, many of you know Harvey and Cherry. Uh, Harvey is, is very musical, uh, but they both preach the word. And Cherry is about this tall.
she's like a nuclear reactor. And um, so come out and, um, and join those services. So be sure you, you come out next weekend, both Saturday and Sunday. Amen? Thank you, Lord. All right. Open your Bible to, uh, to the Gospel of John. I, if you have a message, God, the scriptures are there. I don't want the message guide to become a substitute for you um, knowing how to use your Bible. You know, at the end of the service last night, um, Caleb shared with the worship team and some of the ones that were still here. And it just uh, was an exhortation, you know, to, to, to not be dependent on other people and other sources to get your spiritual food, that we need to learn how to study the Word and grow in the Word and feed ourselves. And it was kind of funny as he's sitting there because I downloaded an article about a week ago and I hadn't even talked to him about it, but this article was about learning how to be a self-feeder. And, um, and, you know, the article talked about, you know, how, and it's true, we become dependent on our preachers and our teachers and our books and our things. But sometimes, you know, we need to learn how to break the Word of God open, the bread of life open ourselves. We need to know how to get in this Word and read it and, and learn and, and allow the Holy Spirit to feed us. Not to just believe what men have told us to believe, but to read this Word and let the Spirit of God teach us. John says you have no need for a teacher. Now, John wasn't saying that we shouldn't depend on men to teach us. Obviously, he wasn't because John understood that Jesus put teachers in the church. That's one of the fivefold ministry gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, teachers. But what he's saying is, ultimately, it is the Holy Spirit that's going to teach you and lead you into truth. I can tell you something that is true but I cannot impart truth to you in a way that it's going to transform you. Only the Holy Spirit can bring that transformation. Only the Holy Spirit can open the eyes of your heart and the eyes of your understanding and give you a revelation of the truth. If we are simply taking in information, though it may be good, from men, from teachers, from books, from TV, from radio, we're just taking that in. We may have a whole bunch of information stuffed inside of our brains, but do we have any truth that's transforming us? And See, I have to learn how to get in the Word of God, not just this written Word, but this written Word is to reveal the living Word, Jesus Christ, to me. And that living Word, Jesus Christ, who's written about in this book called the Bible, He has revealed to me, not through my intellect, He's revealed to me through the power of the Holy Spirit. Does God use my intellect? Yes. I have to be able to read and comprehend, but through that reading and comprehension, it is the Spirit of God. I, I actually know people who barely know how to read and barely know how to comprehend, but I'm telling you what, God taught them how to read, God taught them how to comprehend, and they're able to read the Scripture because they had a hunger for the Word of God and the knowledge of God. So learn to be a self-feeder. And in, in learning and in taking in and being transformed by truth, 
You know, last week we talked about being filled with the Spirit, about living under the Spirit's control. And I've had some comments from people. It's like, well, um, I never heard it that way, or I thought you had to have this happen before. And, and it goes to show me that there are so many, we have so many different beliefs, and they're not rooted and grounded in the Word of God. They're rooted and grounded in what men say. What I'm telling you, church, is we're living in a day and a time when we better know what this word is communicating to us. Because if you're trusting in what men have told you, it doesn't matter how well-meaning those men may be. Some may be very well-meaning. There's a whole lot of men, I believe, today who are out there, not just, I'm not just talking about Christendom. There's lots of messages coming to our ears. And not all those men are well-meaning. I promise you that. And there is only one truth that will set us free. It's the truth of this word. It's the truth of Jesus Christ. And so, become hungry for the truth. Hunger and thirst for Him. For His righteousness, for His truth. He promised to fill you. Now, in talking about... Being a follower of Christ today, you know, as followers of Christ, we're supposed to, we are to live under the Spirit's control. We're to, we're to understand that we belong to Jesus, amen, and that we are now citizens of heaven. We're no longer of this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so to live under the Spirit's control is to what? It's to live in the Spirit's life, submitting to the Spirit's will. And in submitting to the Spirit's will, what am I doing? I am surrendering my own will to the will of the Spirit. When I say that I belong to Jesus, what I'm saying is that that I'm not my own. But I am His voice, I'm His feet, I'm His hands. I am His body carrying out His mission His commission to his body of believers, I'm carrying that out in the earth. I'm not my own to satisfy myself, but I belong to Jesus to satisfy him and to be satisfied in him. See, belonging to Jesus should not be some laborious thing where I feel like, oh well gosh, I guess if I want to go to heaven, I've got to belong to Jesus, so I'm going to endure belonging to him down on this earth so I don't have to spend eternity in hell. Well, that doesn't sound very satisfying, does it? But I believe that if I belong to Jesus, I should understand that not only am I here to satisfy Him, but in satisfying Him and belonging to Him and finding my life in Him, I am satisfied in Him. Is there any place, is there any One that can satisfy me more than Jesus? The answer is no. There's a lot of people that have not come to that place yet. There are a lot of people still looking for a lot of things and a lot of other people to satisfy them. But I'm telling you what, when you get a revelation of Jesus Christ, when you come to know the truth and that truth sets you free, You will come to know, not by the intellect of man, not by the preaching of some preacher or pastor. You will come to know by a revelation of the Spirit that there is no one, there is nothing that can satisfy me like Jesus. 
And I am satisfied to be in Him. And I am satisfied to be satisfying to Him. To satisfy His mission. To satisfy His will. To satisfy His plan and His purpose through my life. I am satisfied to be that. I am satisfied to belong to Him. I am satisfied that I am no longer a citizen of this earth. We talked about it just a little today in the Bible study. We're not citizens of America or citizens of any earthly nation. The scripture says we are citizens of heaven. And the nation and the country that we should promote most is the nation of our citizenship and our origin. Are we promoting heaven? Are we promoting the kingdom of God? I submit to you that as citizens of heaven who belong to Jesus, who live under the control of the Spirit, we should be promoting and trumpeting the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. In our very lives, the sum total of our lives should be to communicate the glory of that kingdom and the glory of that king and make him known and make his glory known. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? You know, we say this is a journey, but it's more than a journey. It's a life. It is our life. To be a follower of Jesus is to be of Christ. It's to be a Christian. What, that, what does that word Christian mean? It literally means of Christ. What, what do they call us here in Taylor? Are we Taylorites? We're of Taylor. We're Christians. We're of Christ. To be a follower of Christ is to be a Christian. It's to be his people. It's to be his body. To be a follower of Christ is to be the church. The church isn't where we go on Sunday or Saturday or Wednesday. It's not a place we go to. The church is who we are. You are the church. You're not in church. You are the church. We really need to guard ourselves. Do you, you, you understand how, how wrong our terminology and it makes our thinking wrong? Well, I went to church today. You went to church. I thought you were the church. I went and worshipped with the believers today. We, we could say this, I went and worshipped together with the church today. Me and the rest of the church got together and we worshipped. It's not a place we go, it's who you are. To be a follower of Christ is to be his people, it's to be his body, it's to be the church. It's to be his manifest reign. You are the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom doesn't come with observation but the kingdom is within you. Where you go, the kingdom goes. When you manifest the glory of the king, you manifest his kingdom. Your very existence as a believer is the manifestation of the kingdom of God. You might not understand that. We might not understand that. But I promise you, heaven, looking at us, powers and principalities that are looking at us, they understand that. They get it. When they see... The believer, they see the manifestation of the kingdom of God. And the, and the kingdom of God 
is in direct opposition to this world. But I've got good news for you. There is no kingdom of this earth, there is no kingdom of this world, there is no kingdom anywhere that will withstand and withhold or hold back the kingdom of our God. His is the everlasting kingdom. It has no end. And you are a part of that. That's what you are of. You're of the kingdom. These aren't religious or institutional or political in nature. See, we want to say the, to be a Christian, that, that's religious. That, Christianity, it's a religion. No, it's not a religion. I know the world says it's a religion, but Jesus didn't come to start a religion. We say, well, the, the church, it's an institution. No, it's not an institution. That's why the church, the institutional church, is dying. And you know what? Let it die. Let it die. Because the institutional church was never made by God. It was a creation of man. But the church that Jesus established and Jesus promised to build, that church will never pass away. It is eternal. The kingdom is not political. We talk about kingdoms and nations and everything today has become political. The kingdom of God is not political. It is spiritual. It is truth. It is reality. And it is in Christ. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, that, that kind of tells us what we are. We are Christian. We are the church. We are his kingdom manifest in the earth. But, 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 but to follow Jesus, we need to understand why. Why did Jesus come? And I know you know the answer to that. First John, or John 3, 17, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Now, some of us don't get that. A lot of the church has not gotten that. The church is busy condemning everybody. Jesus didn't even come to condemn anybody. He came to save them. And while we're busy condemning people, we should be mindful of saving them, not condemning them. We condemn sinners every day, and I have not yet figured that one out, because sinners only do what sinners do. They sin. So why are we condemning them? They're lost. They need to be saved. If someone is a believer and they've got a lifestyle that's not right, do we bring correction? Yeah, the Bible says if you love your brother, go to him. And in love, correct him. In love and in humility. Not pointing a finger of condemnation. But why are we out there condemning the world? Jesus came to save the world. Luke 4, 18 and 19, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That was all of us. He wasn't just talking about physical blindness and physical oppression. He's talking about the spiritual oppression, the spiritual blindness, the spiritual deafness. That sin and death brought to us. And he came to set those free. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Or literally to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you know that you are living in the favor of the Lord right now? You don't? You are. 
Well, I thought God was mad at me. No, you have his favor. He has sent his son. He has shed his spirit abroad. His favor is upon you. Will you receive it? Are you going to receive his favor? It rains on the just and the unjust, the scripture says. But does the unjust think to look up and thank God for the rain? No. But we should, shouldn't we? The favor of the Lord has been shed abroad on all men. We of most men, we of all men should look up and say, Thank you, God, for shedding your favor upon me, for sending your Son, for pouring out your Spirit, for saving me. And that favor is available now to all men. And what is the church doing? Is she making known the favor of God to men who must be saved if they are to have any hope at all? Or is she out there pointing a finger and condemning and almost seemingly rejoicing in their destruction? And I don't think God rejoices in in their destruction. We sang this song this morning. See your maker prostrate on the ground in the garden. See him bloody on the tree. Now I was thinking last night when we were singing this song about Jesus in the garden. And Jesus praying so intensely that he sweat great drops of blood. And we're quick to say, well, Jesus didn't want to go suffer on the cross. And he was, he was just, no, I'm telling you what, that wasn't it. I believe, I believe the greatest prayer of Jesus was for the lost sinner. For those who he was going to that tree to be bloodied for. I believe his greatest prayer was, Father, open their eyes. Father, let them see. Father, don't allow them to perish Why would I think that? I don't know. Because the very guys that nailed Jesus to the cross before Jesus breathed his last dying breath, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And even on the cross, Jesus was praying that God the Father would forgive those that nailed him to that very tree. And I believe the most intense and the greatest prayer of Jesus in the garden was for the lost That they would come to faith in Him. That they would not have to suffer an eternity in hell separated from Him. What's our prayer today? What's the prayer of the church today? What are we travailing over? What are we sweating blood over? Is it the same thing Jesus travailed over? Is it the same thing Jesus sweated blood over? I don't know. Luke 4.43, but he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. 1 John 3.8 says, for this reason, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy the work of the devil. You know what? The devil has had one work from the beginning. So, oh, well, you know, brother, sickness and lack and poverty and let me tell you, the devil, the devil doesn't specialize in all of those things. He specializes in one thing, and that is to separate man from God. 
If it takes sickness to get you to reject God, then sickness is what it will be. If it's lack that will cause you to turn your back on God, then lack is what it will be. But I'm telling you what, the devil could care less whether you're healthy, wealthy, or wise. He just does not want you to be in relationship with God. And whatever it will take, that was and that is and that will always be his work. It is to separate man from God. Why? Because man was created to be in fellowship with God. And there is a jealousy and there is a pride that exists there. Because the enemy figured out real quick that what he tried to take violently, God would give to man out of his grace and out of his mercy. And his mission became to separate man from God. But Jesus was manifest to destroy the work of the devil. He destroyed the separation that sin brought. He destroyed it. And now whosoever will, and the devil can't stop you. He cannot stop you from coming to Jesus. Jesus opened a door and made a way that the devil cannot, he can't close that door, he can't block that way. If you will receive what Jesus did, you can walk through that door, you can walk through that way and receive the life of Christ. And there's not anything the devil can do about it because he is defeated. But here's what he still can do. It's what he's always done. He can and he will deceive you if possible. He will. And why is it important for us to know the truth? Because the truth will set us free from the deception. If I know the truth, I don't have to worry about what the lie is. If it's not the truth, I'll recognize it. I don't need to study the lie. I need to know the truth. If I know the truth, if it's not the truth, I don't care what it is, whether it's an old lie or a new lie, a simple lie or a very complex and creative lie, if it's not the truth, I should recognize it and I should reject it. Jesus was sent for salvation, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And so he commissions us, church, to do the same. Listen, Jesus did not come to establish a religion or to start churches. He didn't. Jesus came to establish a people, listen, who are the church. There's only one church Jesus started. It is the church. All these other movements, whether it's Christ Fellowship or Baptist or Lutheran or Catholic or Presbyterian or first that or second that or fourth that, it, it, it doesn't matter. Those are all created by man. I'm not saying there aren't true believers and they're not part of the true church. But I'm saying let's get focused on what Jesus was focused on. Let's understand why he came. He came to establish a people who would become the church, the body of believers. There's only one body of believers. It is the body of Christ. Jesus didn't come to a whole body of people with faith. He didn't come because everybody down here had great faith and we had it all going on. He said, I think I'm going to go join that. He didn't come to that. Jesus came to build a whole body out of a brokenness. You realize Jesus came to brokenness? Jesus is drawn to brokenness. Have you ever noticed that? God is drawn to brokenness. Do we have any students of history here? You know, a lot of people don't like history. You know, a lot of kids say, oh, I hate history. I'm telling you what, you can learn a lot from history. 
You hear the old saying, history repeats itself? That's a true saying. You know why history repeats itself? Because the fallen nature of man just does the same thing over and over and over and over again. You know how to break that cycle? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will break that cycle. And I'm telling you what, you can read history and you can see what's happening today. You you can just see right where we're going. You can see right where we're going. But what do we do as the church in the midst of that? What do we do? What do we do in the world around us as we know it one day disappears? The kingdom doesn't disappear. Jesus doesn't disappear. If you see yourself as a kingdom of heaven, it doesn't matter what happens to this nation or that nation or any other nation. It doesn't matter what happens to our economy. It doesn't matter whether we live in absolute freedom or total and complete tyranny. It doesn't matter. I have one king. I'm a citizen of one kingdom. And and what happens around here, it doesn't change any of that. Now, I know that sounds hard to, to grasp. Because we're very in love with our lifestyle. Oh, y'all aren't going to like me. I don't have time to offend you too bad today, but if I did, you probably wouldn't like me by the time this message was over with. But I'm telling you what, we're so in love with our lifestyle. We're so in love with our life here. And we think we've got to preserve this life at all costs. I mean, we're ready to lay down anything to preserve, what, a lifestyle? Are we ready to lay down everything for the kingdom? For truth? I don't know. Jesus didn't come to meet a person's every need. I don't care what all the TV preachers say. I don't care what all the books say. I listen to them sometimes. Can I be honest with you? I probably shouldn't. I listen to them sometimes. It makes me want to puke. It absolutely makes me want to puke. To get up there and say, if 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 you have enough faith, you should never have lack. You should never have sickness and disease in your life. I sat there and watched some of them one day, and they said, we've been in ministry for over 40 years, and our health is better today, and our eyesight's better today, and we don't have this, and we don't have that. Just, and, and I'm thinking, okay, that's great. I'm happy for you. I hope I can say that too one day. But what does that say to all the people that, that can't say that? And I don't even know if what you're saying is true. I'm, I don't know. Forgive me, God, but I think they're lying. Maybe it's just a positive confession, but it's not real. Maybe they're calling those things that are not as though they are. Maybe that just becomes a, the way to, to, to be able to say, well, I didn't lie. I was just calling those things that are not as though they are. No, let's call it what it is. A lie is a lie. What does that say to all the people that can't say that? Does that mean that somehow those that are poor and broken down and in need don't, don't have the favor and the blessing of God? God somehow sees them as, as, as less than his other children over here? Somehow God doesn't love me just as much as he loves this person because they're driving a Lexus and my car is barely able to get out of the driveway. 
Well, brother, you need to have more faith. You need to believe God for a new ride. You need a king's chariot. You had enough faith, you could be driving one too. Really? I don't know. Last time I checked, when I went to the car dealership, they didn't take faith. They took money. (laughs) Maybe you need to work harder. Maybe you need to work smarter. Maybe you need to pray for some opportunities to open up, some doors to open up, so you can get a better job, get a better income, and buy a better car. See, this isn't new. This is an age-old thing. Even the psalmist wrote about it. God, the wicked prosper. What's going on? Well, maybe the wicked knows what's something you don't know. Maybe they're working harder than you are. Maybe they're applying principles you're not applying. But the wicked, does, the wicked may have that, but they don't have what you have. They don't have the favor of God, the blessing of God, through the life of God and the spirit of God. Yeah, it's available to them, but the fool has said in his heart there's no God. That can be a rich fool or a poor fool, but he's still a fool if he says there's no God. Don't define the blessing of God by what kind of car you drive or what kind of clothes you wear or how big your house is. If you have Christ, you're blessed. If you don't have Christ and you have life, you're blessed because you still have an opportunity to know him. But when you leave this world without him, that opportunity's gone. Jesus didn't come to meet a person's every need. Jesus came to meet the need of every person, and that need is salvation. That's our great need. It's salvation. Jesus came proclaiming his provision of salvation. Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, and so calls his followers to that same mission to proclaim salvation in him. With words if we need to, but mostly with our life. Because see, words are meaningless if our life and our actions don't back up our words. A husband can tell his wife passionately how much he loves her. But after he beats the crud out of her, I love you doesn't mean very much, does it? To be a follower of Jesus is to be a fisher of men. If I'm a Christian, if I'm the church, if I'm his kingdom manifest in the earth, then I should be a follower of men. Because Jesus told his disciples, he's told, he told Peter and those guys, he said, hey, when he saw James and John in the boat, he said, guys, come with me and I will make you fishers of men. In Luke 5.10, he says, do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men. We've lost that as the church. We've we've forgotten how to fish. You know why? Because we're so consumed with ourselves. Because we come into our buildings worried about all the wrong things. We have a checklist of things that bother us. Well, the preaching bothered me today. The pastor sounded too angry. He was too loud. The music was too loud. I didn't like the song selection. It was too cold. It was too hot. Man, the pews are too crowded. Well, they're too uncomfortable. Well, you know, so many people, I just don't know anybody there anymore. It's a bunch of new people, and, well, you know, it's just not, I don't know, it just didn't feel right to me. Because it's all about me. It's all about how I feel. 
It's all about what makes me feel good. And we've developed a whole church industry. There's, there's volumes, there's libraries of books out there all about it. How to preach in a way that won't offend people. I didn't buy that book, by the way. <laughs> Whatever rules they might have, I'm sure that today I'm breaking every one of them. You know why? Because we're more afraid of people than we are of God. God forbid if people get offended and leave our church. Well, you know, pastor, we got to have those people. They got to be paying their tithes. They got to, you know, with the church has got to have money. Well, I understand that. But I'm going to tell you what. If we don't have God, we can have all the money in the world. We don't have anything. And maybe... Maybe the churches need to preach so much truth that we drive most people out and they go out there and find out what it is they really need. Maybe it's not everything they thought they needed. Maybe they need to come and assemble together as the body of Christ and be focused on the right thing instead of all the wrong things. Maybe they need to go out there and figure out it's really not about me, it's really about Him. I don't know, I could be wrong, but I have a feeling within the next couple of decades in America, we're going to find out that it's not about us. It might not even take a couple of decades. At the rate things are going right now, we're going to be so desperate for God, for the real thing, we won't even care if the preacher gets up and preaches. We won't even care if the musicians get up and play. We may just bust those doors down to come to the altar and cry out to God because we are so desperate. Well, why don't we have that desperation now? Because we don't need it. Because we have ourselves. Because we have our economy. Because we've got all the things that we have surrounded ourselves with to build ourselves up with and be our sufficiency. But I'm telling you what, as as much sufficiency as those things can supply, there is only one yet that is truly our sufficiency, and he is Jesus. And right now, we have a choice in the midst of all that we have around us that's good, that I love. I love my creature comforts. I love my house. I love my car with air conditioning. Oh, I love my house with air conditioning. Can you imagine living in a house without air conditioning? I love the fact that I can go to my sink and turn my water on and get a drink if I want to, whenever I want to, early in the morning, midday, late at night. I can go to my refrigerator and open it up and get something cold out of it. I love that. I love I can get in my car and go wherever I want and do whatever I want and I don't have to answer to anybody. But it's also real easy for us to forget who our sufficiency is when life is that convenient and life is that easy. And then we come into churches and it so makes me feel so good. It's so entertaining. It just makes me feel so wonderful. And I go out and I feel great because I went to church. And I got goosebumps on my goosebumps. All the music was great. The preaching was great. All my best friends were there. And, and it was just wonderful. And we just feel so good about ourselves. 
And we live in such a great country and we just have it all going on and we're so blessed. But all around us, people are dying and people are lost without Jesus. And we're reveling in our blessing and how good I feel. And the whole time we walk around and people are dying and drowning in their sin. And every once in a while we'll say, oh, oh, let me help you. But mostly I'm convinced we're blind to it. Because not on purpose, I don't believe. But we have come to accept and come to expect and come to believe a self-centered Christianity. And we have condition. And I repented last night on behalf of pastors and teachers and ministers because we, us guys from the pulpit, have been more conscious of people instead of God. And we have, not intentionally, but we have conditioned people to expect something that Jesus never expected. We have conditioned people to expect Christianity to look like something that is so foreign from what this book writes right here that we can't, we can't even read the book and see what the reality is because we are so blinded with the lie. But, but here's the good news, and it really is good news. I'm telling you what, God is doing a work. God is doing a work. He's doing a work in the church. See, because, because God loves the church. He loves her. I believe Jesus loves the church more than anything. And he wants all that will to come and be his church, to be part of his body, because he wants to love them and be in fellowship with them for all eternity. And God loves the church so much that he is not going to allow the church to stay where she is. He has given her opportunity, just like he did Israel, just like he did every other nation in the Bible. Read your Bible. Read history. God gave every nation an opportunity to turn on their own, to make a decision, to turn from their wickedness, to turn from their error, and turn to the truth and embrace the truth and let God heal them and let God restore them. But do you know what? History shows us that just doesn't happen. Read the Bible and read about Israel. You know, one of the reasons I believe God chose a people and, and wrote a history about a specific people because God was showing us the condition of all humanity. And he showed us what we will do if left to ourselves. And you see Israel going through this cycle of, of God moves greatly on her behalf. How long did it take her to come out of Egypt after God demonstrated? We say today, boy, if I could see the miracles and the things that, that Israel saw, man, I'd... No, you wouldn't. The, 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 the rich man told Jesus, if you, if you would just... If, even if you just, if you just let someone go back and tell my brothers, Jesus said, even though one rise from the dead, they're not going to believe. And he spoke of himself. So what does God do? I'm telling you, in his infinite mercy and grace, he lets us fall and come to brokenness. Why? Because out of brokenness, what do we do? We look up. We turn to him in brokenness. 
Because in our prosperity and in our ease, we do not turn to him. I'm going to say something that's going to offend some of you. God does not love America. God loves Americans. And God will let America fall because she wa- he wants the people of this nation to turn to him. And I'm telling you what, God has shed his grace on the nation called America. And she has an opportunity to turn. But if she does not turn, God will let her fall and come to absolute ruin if that's what it takes for the people. Because God, there ain't going to be any nations in heaven. There's one nation, it's a holy nation. But there will be people from every nation. And what God loves are the people of the nations of the earth. And he will let nations fall if that's what it takes for people to finally turn to him. I'm telling you what, I don't want to see that happen. But if the church doesn't get delivered of her selfishness and her self-centeredness and figure out pretty quick that all these Sunday gatherings and Saturday gatherings and Wednesday gatherings and all that we do that we call church is not about us and that God has put us in this earth not for our weekly gatherings but so that we can be salt and light out in this earth, out in the darkness. And if we don't begin to share the life of Christ... If we don't learn how to become fishers of men and begin to fish for those men who do not know Jesus, I'm telling you, there will come a day and some of you will remember this very message right here. And you'll say, I heard a man say that one time. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't say, follow me and I'll make all your troubles disappear. He didn't say, follow me and I'll make all your needs go away. He didn't say, follow me and I'll make your life easy. He didn't say, follow me and I'll make you a total success. He didn't say that. But he did say this. He said, follow me and I'll never leave you. Follow me and I will abide in you and you will abide in me. Follow me and I will be your strength and weakness. Follow me and I will be your joy that always remains. Follow me and I'll be the peace that guards your heart. Follow me and I will give you my new life for your old. Follow me and I will cause you to catch men. We may be successful, we may prosper, we may have fewer needs than most or not. I don't know. Those things could depend on our education, our economics, our work ethic. It could depend on a lot of things. Jesus didn't come to promise us all that. Jesus came preaching a message of salvation and he has commissioned us to make that message known. And he has called us to be fishers of men. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature you shall receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in jerusalem in judea in samaria and to the ends of the earth a follower of jesus must be a fisher of men it's not about methods 
So we want to find a method, the latest and the greatest method. Okay, Pastor Jeff, well, give me a method of how I can go out and catch men. It's not about a method. Listen, it's from relationship with Christ and his body into relationship with others that we are able to catch men. It's about relationship. Your salvation is not about a method. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. Your ability to catch men, to be a fisher of men, is not about methods. It's about relationship. And your ability to impart and share the love of Christ with other men is going to be directly proportional to your relationship with Jesus. There's no question of how much Jesus is in love with us. The question is, how much are we in love with Him? Many of us are more in love with ourselves. But we say we're in love with Jesus more than anybody. But the truth is, we're more in love with ourselves. I know that wasn't very nice for me to say, but it's the truth. Our ability to relate to other people is going to be directly proportional to how I relate with my Father in Heaven. My ability to love those that are not lovable is going to be directly proportional to my love for the Father, born out of the Father's love for me. How can you persecute how can you bless those who persecute you? How can you love your enemies? Jesus said it. He said anybody can love someone who loves you. Anybody can be friendly to those that are friendly to you. But he said, but I tell you to love your enemies, to bless those who persecute you. We, we talked about that this morning. We want to say we're persecuted. We're not persecuted in America. We're just all offended. You're not persecuted. You're offended. I wonder... You know, they do a study. The average American walks around with seven credit cards in his wallet. I wonder what the average Christian, how many offenses the average Christian walks around with every day. We're just a bunch of offended people. You know what Jesus said? You better be careful with offense. Woe unto him who is offended, who takes offense, and who causes offense. Man, we need to get delivered of our offenses. We need to get delivered of that. And we wonder why the church can't reach the lost. Because we're walking around so offended with one another. How are we going to love? How are we going to love the lost? How are we going to love our enemies? We can't even love our brothers and sisters. We want to walk around in all this power. We want to pretend like we've got so much power. We, we don't even have any love to walk around in. You think God's going to give power to his church when, when we've got love and we can't even walk in it? Come on, church. Is it really worth, I mean, is it worth hanging on to that offense? Is it worth all the things we hang on to? Is it really worth it? It's not worth it. I'm telling you what. Fall in love with Jesus. Get your eyes off that other stuff. Get your eyes back on the Lord. Become so in love with Jesus that that love just begins to ooze and permeate from you. You'll catch men. You will catch men. I promise you, you will. You'll stop condemning them. You'll stop judging them. You'll stop picking them apart. And instead, your heart will begin to break 
Instead of judging them for their sin, your heart will break because of their sin. Instead of judging them because they've got an addiction or they've got an issue or they've got a problem, your heart will begin to break and you'll begin to weep because of their issue, because of their addiction, because of their problem. Where is the love? You know why the world doesn't want to have anything to do with what she thinks is the church? Because what we've come to call the church, there is no love there. Oh, we, we want to say there is. But see, our words don't line up with our actions. They don't. But when we start loving like Jesus loves, when we start walking like Jesus walks, when we start talking like Jesus talks, when we start thinking like Jesus thinks, present your body a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get the mind of Christ. Don't do what you want to do. Present your body a living sacrifice. Submit yourself and surrender yourself to the will of the Spirit and become a truly Spirit-filled Christian. Being Spirit-filled doesn't have anything to do with speaking in tongues. I know that some of you don't like that, but it's the truth. Being Spirit-filled has everything to do with whether you're walking under the control of the Spirit or not. Do I believe in tongues? Yes, I believe in tongues. I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit. I believe they're real and in operation today. But that has nothing to do with whether you're spirit-filled or not. Being spirit-filled is whether you're living under the Spirit's control. You got the Spirit when you got saved. The question is, are you allowing that Spirit in you to control you? There's not two baptisms. There's one baptism. How do you know? Because the Bible says so. When you got baptized into Christ, you... You were baptized in Him. You, were, you got His Spirit at salvation. Church, walk in the fullness of it. Walk in the... I'm just blowing somebody's theology out of the water right now. <laughs> Lord Jesus, help me. But it's the truth. I'm, I'm not telling you my opinion. I'm t- I read the Scriptures to you last week. It's what the Scripture says. Now, you can twist the scripture and make it be something that it's not really because you've got to uphold some doctrine of man. But I'm telling you what, along with all those offenses, you know what we need to do? We need to get rid of the doctrines of men and get back to the doctrine of God, which is the word of God, the Bible. Let's end the debates, man. Let's just start living it. Let's quit talking about it. Let's quit debating it. Let's just start living it. Live the love. Live the fullness of the Spirit. Walk in the power of God. He's in you. You can do it. But instead of being so conscious of trying to work up some gift so you can... I read the scripture last night, man, of Paul. Paul said, I went to paradise. I went to the third heaven. He said, but you think I'm going to talk about that? I'm not going to talk about that. I said, man, if Paul, if that had been somebody from our day and age would have experienced what Paul would have experienced, they'd have already written 15 books, had three or seven television shows. They'd have toured the world and been telling everybody about their experience. Paul said, I ain't no fool. I'm not going to talk about that. He said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to revel in. It's my infirmity. It's my weakness. Go write a book about that today. It ain't going to sell anything. That's why people don't write books about those things. But if we have a third heaven experience, man, we want to write a book about it. We want to get on TV about it. We want to promote it. 
Because everybody's supposed to have a third heaven experience. Really? I don't think so. I think you'll have the experience God wants you to have. But I'm going to tell you what everybody does have. Everybody has infirmities. Everybody has weakness. And Paul says, you know what? I will revel in my weakness. Why? Because in my weakness, he is strong. See, we don't preach that gospel today. Because people don't want to hear that. And so you know what we do? You know what we've done? Because we won't preach that message, because we have taught people that you got to be healthy, wealthy, and wise to be really spiritual and to really have favor with God. you got to look a certain way, be a certain way. You know what we've done? We've, we've caused people to put up walls and facades and to live a lie they were never meant to live. Instead of reveling in their weakness so that God can be strong through their weakness, they're hiding behind a wall of shame trying to be something they're not. That's bondage. And I'm telling you what, Jesus wants to deliver us from that bondage. And when the church gets delivered of that bondage, we're waiting for the world, something to happen out in the world. The world is doing exactly what the world does. They're lost and in sin. They don't have a problem, except they need Jesus. We're the ones with the problem. We need to get delivered of all this mess. Come clean with God. Repent. Get rid of our pride. Come broken before the Lord and let Him become strong in our weakness. We need to learn how to revel in our infirmities so we can go out into the world. And those people, see, they can identify with infirmity. They can. Does that mean God wants you to be infirmed and sick? No, that's not what I'm saying. But if you haven't noticed, that is part of living in planet earth if you say it's not you're lying and you are deceived you're living in denial and I ain't talking about a river in Egypt either stop living in denial Paul says I've been rich I've been poor I've been clothed I've been naked but I've learned to be content in whatever there are going to be times when you're going to have an abundance there's going to be times when you're going to be weak well, I'm going to tell you what mostly it's out of our weakness that we look to and turn to God, and that's when he is able to be strong. You know why? Why is it out of our weakness? Because then we don't have anything to add. We don't have anything to add anyways. We just think we do. But when we're so weak, we have no choice but to trust God. That's what God likes. That's what he likes. But what we need to do is learn that regardless of what my circumstance is, I'm weak. I can't do anything without him. Why would I want to? Rich, poor, it doesn't matter. I'm weak. I'm frail. I am in desperate need of my Savior, Jesus. Without his strength, without his power, I can do nothing. Where does his strength and where does his power come from? It's his presence in me. It's his spirit in me. Remember, it ain't something that's going to come from heaven. It's from your innermost being. It's from the Spirit in you. Lean on that. Trust in that. Look to that. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own strength because you don't really have any. Let's acknowledge Him. Let's turn to Him. 
Let's get rid of our offense. Let's lay down our pride. Let's repent of those things. And let's stop being self-conscious and self-centered. And let's begin to look and see the lost world around us. And let the heart of Jesus in us begin to break for those people. And let that love begin to pour out of us on their behalf. Amen. Let's all stand. There's a little article in the back of your message guide, and I'm not going to read it. It's called Understanding the Missional Church. But here's the, here's the whole thought of it. The thought is this. What if Americans lived, what if the American church, right where we are right now, began to live as though we were missionaries in a foreign country? Guarantee if you were sent to a foreign country as a missionary, you're, you would live a lot differently than you live right now. You'd be very mission-minded because you sacrificed a lot to go to that nation and to be there. But what if the church in America began to live that way right now? What if we became mission-minded? What if we saw ourselves as missionaries? Newsflash, we are. We're not citizens of the earth. We're citizens of heaven. We are on a mission trip. And our destination is earth. We're only here temporarily. We are all missionaries, whether you believe it or not. It's the truth. Let's start living like it. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus.